Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news, as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. Welcome to a new episode of the Herbs with Rosalie podcast. I'm excited to bring you this conversation with herbalist Bevan Clare. Not only does she have a profound love of cinnamon, I mean, she even named her daughter after cinnamon, She's also filled with so much information about how to work with herbs beyond capsules and expensive products to really enjoying them in your everyday life. For those of you who don't know Bevan, she's an herbalist, nutritionist, homeschooling parent, a professor at the Maryland University of Integrative Health, and the program director of the Master's in Clinical Medicine program. She holds an MSc in infectious disease and is the author of Spice Apothecary and a former president of the American Herbalist Guild. You can find her wandering the world with her two children, munching on spices, exploring markets, and immersing in the plant world. Well, welcome to the show, Bevan. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm, I'm also honored that you like fit this in because I know you just got back from yet another trip. So where, where have you just arrived from? Well, I, I'm always just getting back or just about to leave, I think. I just start, got home yesterday from Stockholm, Sweden, and that was, you know, a fantastic little adventure, you know, plenty of plenty of flowering plants and, mm. you know, just that cool summertime there, which is really nice when you come from a warmer climate. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a different trip too, I know, because this was no kiddos trip. I mean, you've been traveling with your kids since they were like practically babes in arms, it seems like, but at least toddlers, right? So yes, this was a kid-free trip, which doesn't happen very often. This was a kid-free trip. Yeah, they were left behind. So that was the, the theme of the trip was everything that, that we would do, we everything we couldn't do or wouldn't do if the kids were there. So, I mean, that we didn't go too crazy or anything, but <laughs> it was definitely, you know, we'd be like, do we want to take a eight-hour canal boat to an outlying archipelago island? And we're like, yes, that's what we want to do. <laughs> that's a great, it's right in our theme. So, so that was different for me. It was also fun because we spent a lot of time on the water and in the canals. And the week before that, I was in Panama with my family, with the canals. So it was like these different types of canals, very different experiences, mm. Mm. unintentionally. <laughs> I feel like that is so Bevan. You're like, well, two weeks ago I was in Panama. And so then I was in Stockholm the week before. You definitely travel a lot. And we're going to talk more about that. But before we do, I'm excited to hear how you got on this herbal path in the first place. So you, I have a lot of answers to that. I think like a lot of people who have had like a life of plants, there were... A lot of times in my childhood where I was 
dreaming about plants or mixing up potions or, you know, whatever I was doing. But I think that the the time when I really realized it was my vocation and my life's work was when I was a young, well, I was, I would, I was a young herbalist. So I was in my late teens, almost in my early twenties. And I had already studied herbalism and, you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember being a really young adult, but I definitely thought I knew more than I did at the time. You know, you look back, I think, and go, oh gosh, what was I doing? But I was in Southeast Asia. There's the travel theme. I was in Myanmar (laughs) and I didn't expect that people would bring me sick people because they thought I was either a doctor or a missionary because, you know, or Peace Corps or something. Somebody would have medicines and there wasn't really proper medical care or hospitals available in rural areas. And I was going to all these rural areas. And so it's, I spent a lot of time telling people no and just feeling awful about it, that I couldn't help their Mm -hmm. sick ones. And one day I decided to, I decided to say yes and to try to help because I realized, you know, I know the tools here. I know a lot of these plants here and I didn't really think that was going to work that well. I mean, I, you know, it was kind of like, I just can't keep saying no to trying to help a person. I don't know what I would have done now like in my, with my greater life experience and perspective, I don't think I was precocious enough at this point. I think back then I was like, well, herbs are amazing. They can do everything. You know, of course, of course this will, this will help. Now I think I'm much more of a skeptic. And even though I still, you know, believe entirely and deeply in herbal medicines, I also have a lot more perspective, I think. So, uh, so I did decide to help and it did help. And I think what happened was I realized the, the true capacity of herbalism in a way that, you know, at that point, and I would still think every single one of those people should be in a hospital with conventional care. But I guess realizing that when that's not available, that that herbalism can actually really do things. It really, really is powerful in these situations. So, so I think when I wasn't already, I, I mean, I was already a convert and already dedicated. But for me, I was like, this is this is it. This is my path. So I went and did a master's in infectious disease and really focused on that. And but I think it was kind of predestined from day one. I mean, there's never really been any other career that I've considered or had since I was a child. So here we are. <laughs> Do you think it was those experiences in Southeast Asia that really like made you interested specifically in infectious disease? Yeah, I think so. Because I think it's one of these subjects where, you know, if you have a bad infection, it's a really great place to go with conventional medicine, right? You know, you, this is like antibiotics and every all of these things work wonders and, you know, they've saved my life. And yet, you know, we know there's limitations. We know that there's, you know, resistance. We know that there's all these things. And so I think that, you know, plants have just an entirely different approach is the thing. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. It's, you know, I think it's a lot like People love the war analogies, right, with infection. And I don't think that they're un- inappropriate. I don't really like thinking about war. But, but you know, I think conventional medicine and antibiotics are like dropping bombs. And, you know, they, they do stuff. kills a lot of things. And I think that herbal medicine is like like infiltration and espionage and, you know, all these different, it's very subtle and it's very nuanced and it can have profound effects, but not in such an overt blatant way. So, Mm -hmm. so I think when I realized that, and then I started learning more about mechanisms and so on. So yeah, I became really inspired to see 
the place for both because the kind of the concomitant use of herbs and and pharmaceuticals is just really fascinating and infectious disease, especially when there's no other options left. So, so I get all excited about that. And I, before we dive into cinnamon, I'd love to hear about some of the different hats you've worn as an herbalist, because I think you've done some pretty interesting things. So you, you got your degree in infectious disease, and, and then how did that keep unraveling for you? Yeah, so, you know, my my first hat that I ever wore was when I was, I think I, I, think I just had my driver's license, not for very long, so I was like 16 or 17. And I grew up in New Hampshire and the local university had these like continuing education classes. And I remember I took one that was like, you know, herbs 101, how to make like a tea, a tincture of salve and learn about five herbs and, you know, those kinds of classes. So I took that class and I just loved it. And I, you know, I think I spent all my time, I was the most ambitious student ever in this little class. So I spent all my time doing this and then I'd come early and then I'd stay late and talk with my, the, the teacher who did this. And, and at the end of the class, she said, well, you know, she didn't really want to teach it anymore. She was done. And she was wondering if I wanted to teach it. And so wow. I know <laughs> she was like, well, clearly, you know, you're enthusiastic. And so I was like, okay, you know, so it's, so teaching has always been a theme for me. I think I've always been a teacher one way or another in herbs it used to be a lot of beginner stuff. Now it's a lot more advanced stuff. I enjoy both, but I do like to dig deeply into new things that excite me and share them. And a lot of times those are more of an advanced audience, but it depends. And so I've worn those hats. I've been a clinician for a long time in between when I returned from my Southeast Asian travels for a few years. When I had my second child, I was doing a lot of clinical work and then something had to kind of lessen. So then I, I kind of moved to a, a place where I wasn't accepting new clients and so on. So I did that. And then I've really been involved. I would say that that second to herbs and teaching, it has always been, or even along with it, has always been the desire to make herbalism a viable career. It used to frustrate me so much when, when I was really young and I you know, would meet all these wonderful herbalists and ask about their path and how they got going. And, you know, the theme was poverty, basically. I mean, they might have been happy and enriched and ultimately found a way, but like they lived in their cars and, you know, they, it was, and, and I remember just thinking, well, you know, this is a really honorable profession. Why, you know, why is it have to be the way we do this? So I was really interested in it as a career and that brought me to being on the board of the American Herbalist Guild. I was their youngest board member ever. David Winston asked if I would go on the board and I was like, okay, I think I was 23 or so at that point. Yeah. And so I've been, I've been on the board since. So it's been a little over 20 years and I've been the, the president and various roles. And, and I really feel like that's a great organization to promote the viability of the profession of herbalist in a really good way without it being exclusionary. And, and I'm a professor at a university for herbalism. So that's, then there's another hat that I always think of an extension of the teaching piece, of course. Mm -hmm. And I'm a parent and I'm a hopeless gardener. I mean, I have very sloppy kind of wing it, like survival of the fittest sort of gardens, but I like having plants around. So that mm -hmm. too, but that's not really a job or anything. <laughs> <laughs> a, a deep joy when you're home. <laughs> I do. I mean, I, I really, I do enjoy visiting and seeing what's happening out in the gardens and checking in and, and so on. So it's always, it's really nice. I just like having, and then of course, just having plants around to use and whatever I'm 
doing on a day-to-day basis, but I'm definitely not a thoughtful gardener. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice the herbs thrive on neglect because quite a few of them can, can maintain. They can. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, they, it's more that, you know, some take over others and, and so on, but, but it's true. And I, I think what makes me a, not a great gardener is probably what makes a lot of herbalists not great gardeners is the weeds or not weeds. And so it just <laughs> ends up, it's hard to, it's hard to decide who to pull out, you know, and, and I'm not very good at that. So we end up with just craziness, which is fun too. Yeah. <laughs> I was just having that conversation with my husband the other day. Cause he was like, you cannot leave all of the dandelions in the garden. He tells me, and I was like, well, I'm cultivating some, like these ones are young. So I'll pull them next year. You know, when they're a little bit older and they have more of a root, but he's just like, like just too many dandelions in the garden, but I'm saving them. Right. I know. I mean, you know, they're useful for all sorts of things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, why not? (laughs) So we're going to talk about cinnamon today, which I'm really excited for. And one thing I'm just curious about, have you been to cinnamon plantations and hung out with cinnamon trees? Yes. So I really love cinnamon. And and I remember the first time I ever got to try it as a plant, it was just like, wow. I mean, it just grows on trees. And so it, it amazed me. And I and I, I really love cinnamon. I think it's just this I'm I'm very passionate about sensory herbal medicine, like very pleasurable herbal medicine, things that we can taste and smell and experience in our food. And we don't have to like take them in a tincture or a capsule or concentrated this or that. Like they're just a simple part of everyday life. And so cinnamon meets that for me. And I actually named my daughter Cassia, which is not the true genus, the species that we should necessarily be using or the genus that we should be using, but still, I mean you know, naming her cinnamomum wasn't going to work. So Cassia works. (laughs) And yeah, I've seen cinnamon a few times, but this past January, we traveled to Sri Lanka, Ceylon, of course, and got to spend a lot of time around true cinnamon or Ceylon cinnamon. And it was awesome. I learned a lot about just why it's so much more expensive and unique, the growing, the cultivation practices, the harvesting practices. I mean, people have to are often third or fourth generation harvesters how the how they specifically peel that bark off of the wood and just how the Sri Lankan people use this plant I absolutely you know I just fell in love with it all over again so it was very it was very exciting and and cinnamon's just a big part of life there generally as a savory element to cuisine not sweet whereas we think of it as kind of a sweeter thing but yeah it was it was so fun to just get to see that and I have some fun videos of people peeling cinnamon. They use their toes a lot. Hmm, wow, cool. Well, since you broached the subject, I just want to back up a little bit and talk about like what is cinnamon and cassia versus Ceylon. Some folks might not know that. Right. So there's all these different cinnamons or things called cinnamons, but but really we're looking at the genus cassia and the genus cinnamomum. So if you're just looking for a little flavor, like it's, you know, you want a little taste of cinnamon really any of them can be used. They have different flavors. and But if you travel around the world, you're going to experience a lot of the cassia cinnamon, which kind of has a bold, more spicy flavor and so on. But there are a number of coumarins in it. So uh, that, that, and those coumarins can have some negative health effects over, over term for a, like a cumulative effect. So it's not something you ever have to be worried about, like what cinnamon am I eating this 
big cinnamon bun or this cinnamon cookie or something, but more like if I'm going to be taking this regularly for my health and well-being, is this the right cinnamon? So the other cinnamon, the cinnamomum cinnamon, which is also called Vietnamese cinnamon or Ceylon cinnamon or true cinnamon, but it's cinnamomum, xylenicum or verum. Verum is the contemporary name. That cinnamon is the one that has the most profound medicinal effects, although all of them have have medicinal effects, definitely. But that's the one that's studied the most, and it's been the most relied upon for medicine. And it also has a sweeter, more a little bit more mild taste, but it really, I mean, it's really sweet, which I love about it, and a little bit more delicate and so on. And really the bark of that one is is fragile and thin versus the cassia cinnamon, which is very thick. So if you ever have had cinnamon quills, which a lot of people are familiar with, that rolled up cinnamon, and it's like a pretty woody thing, like you could bang it on your hand or something and it wouldn't fall apart. That is the cassia cinnamon. That's the one we often see rolled as quills. The cinnamomum or true cinnamon, when it's rolled as quills, it, it almost looks like very layered kind of flaky thing. And if you bang it, it, little pieces will fall off and it's it's very flaky. And that's because that is actually a lot of the bark of a lot of different trees of cinnamon. But, you know, the, the cassia is just one piece of bark that kind of dries into this hard piece because it's very thick when they harvest it. But the cinnamomum, they, they kind of nestle many of these pieces of bark together and then they all curl up and turn into this like you know, flaky stick. So that's the difference also, but they're both readily available out there. If it doesn't say what kind of cinnamon it is, it's probably a cassia cinnamon because they're going to advertise the true cinnamon or Vietnamese cinnamon or Ceylon cinnamon because it'll be more expensive, but it's readily available out there. Such a great example of the the common name creating confusion. Um, yeah. It's good to know what you're dealing with. I regularly I always have both cinnamons or at least two different kinds of cinnamons anyway in my house because like you said if I'm going to like make up some like mold apple cider then I'll throw in cassia sticks but if I'm relying on it for medicine more frequently then I definitely want the cinnamon barium yeah yeah such a cool plant yeah it is it is I just I'm still can't get over that you got to go visit because that's kind of I guess it's like a little bit on my bucket list to really see those trees because there's just something I adore cinnamon and it really tickles my fancy that when I'm having cinnamon, I'm like, I'm enjoying tree bark right now. It's just something I know. Good about that. <laughs> well, and also, you know, the, the leaves are really tasty, like very, very tasty. So I don't think that that carries over especially well in like any dried products, but it grows all over Sri Lanka. Cinnamon does wild and cultivated. And so my daughter learned to recognize it really well. So we would walk around and she would always be grabbing cinnamon leaves and eating them. And especially like the little young leaves. If anybody's ever tasted sassafras leaves, they're not dissimilar in some ways, but they're, but the bigger leaves can be quite cinnamony. So yeah, I love, I love that. And I also love that in Sri Lanka, they rarely cook with means other than burning coconut husks and the cinnamon wood, the wood from the center, because that's not the part that you get the cinnamon from. It's the outer bark. So, you know, that's, and there's always a little element of scent from that, the, um, that they use the byproducts from the cinnamon harvest to fuel their fires for cooking. I thought that was very exotic to cook over cinnamon wood. That's lovely. <laughs> it is. Well, I'm curious what ways you like to work with cinnamon as medicine. Yeah, you know, cinnamon is a really cool one because you know, there's, there's a huge amount of supporting evidence base, which I always love to see. I love it because it reinforces traditionally what we've always done. I also love it because I think it, the having these 
clinical trials can help us to bring cinnamon into environments where maybe the door isn't as open to things that we can just say, oh, it's been used for thousands of years and people are like, yeah, but there's no safety data or efficacy or something we can't bring. But cinnamon has that. It's also really cool because unlike some plants, when you look at the research where you're like, oh, I need to take, you know, oodles of this. And so somehow we have to concentrate this and get it into an extract. And so you can take, you know, one little pill and it equals 10 grams. Cinnamon works really well in, in food-like doses. So, you know, if you could, if you can fit something like a quarter of a teaspoon or even better, a half a teaspoon into your daily diet of cinnamon, then you're good. I mean, that's really the, the recommended clinical dose in a lot of these studies. So that's really neat because that's easy to do. I mean, adding that much to oatmeal or to, you know, yogurt or, you know, all sorts of different kinds of things, cinnamon toast or something, whatever it is, um, <laughs> even savories, it can be great. And so we use a lot of cinnamon. In fact, I always keep cinnamon, unlike a lot of the herbs and spices I have, I keep them in in this like shaker jar that has two sides, you know, one where it's like the sifted side where you can sift it out mm -hmm. and the other side was just open where you can just pour lots. And we use it all the time. And my daughter one day was like, what's the side with the holes for, you know, because we're always just <laughs> dumping a lot in with the, the open side. I'm like, oh, I just, you know, I don't think I've ever measured out a teaspoon of cinnamon ever, but that's the way I often cook. But it, you know, it's just, you can use a lot. So I think you can use cinnamon in any way that you really want to use it. If you're trying to use it to support a health, healthy blood sugar balance, which is what a lot of people are using it for, then, you know, using it somewhat consistently, but you don't have to get too specific about dose. One of my favorite ways to think about using cinnamon is let's say you live in like a multi-generational family household and diabetes runs in your family and you know that it does. So it's like in your mind, but you can add cinnamon to everyone's diet. This is what's so fun about herbs because we can't do this with pharmaceuticals. We're not going to be like, let's take everyone from the toddlers to the elderly, take this pharmaceutical. No, that doesn't work. But with cinnamon, it does. So even just starting off with this healthy practice of a botanical like cinnamon, and it's also totally non-toxic. So you don't have to worry about taking too much or, or anything like that. It's really safe. And so... And I shared a recipe with you of one of my favorite recipes, ways to take cinnamon. And, yeah, let's um, talk about that. Chocolate. This looks so yummy. So I call it the Synergy Fudge. And it's a recipe that's great for both cinnamon and turmeric, which I often will combine together. And the idea is that these spices work much better when they're exposed to heat, fat, and something kind of aromatic or spicy. And so... You know, you can prepare them traditionally like a curry where you add them in with like some oil and onions and garlic and things like that, where they get that heat and they get that fat and then you, you get some spices. But another way to do it is actually to use something like coconut oil and add in chocolate to it. And that kind of makes like a soft fudge, I call it. So one of the things that I like about this is that you can actually get a really, a pretty large dose of both of them in a small amount. So a small piece of fudge that would be like, you know, an inch by an inch or three centimeters by three centimeters or something. I don't know. You could get the equivalent of 10 or 12 capsules of herbs in there at times. You're going to definitely taste them, but it's a nice flavor and you don't need to get that much, of course. But if you're looking to make kind of a therapeutic medicinal preparation, you could put, let's say, two weeks worth of herbs that you want to take into a dose of fudge, cut it into 14 pieces, just have one of those every day. And to me, that's a much nicer way to take my medicine than some of the other options that are out there. 
So it also eases compliance. And I even have little silicone lollipop molds that I'll make like little chocolate lollipops mm. with, with different herbs in them. And that's another fun way to do it. So I love the idea of like chocolate lollipop medicine. That works totally <laughs> well for me. <laughs> agreed, agreed. I love that you included those instructions on like how to get a two-week dose in because something that I think is just a little bit different from like a clinical practice versus like somebody who's like ghost writing for a website is that you'll hear like cinnamon is good for blood sugar and then that's it. And it's not yeah. a like, discussion of like, how do you actually get that in? And then the other aspect too, is people will say, well, I want food to be my medicine. And right. so, but how, again, like if you're using, you know, a quarter teaspoon of cinnamon once a week, it's not that that's bad, but we're not going to be getting that, you know, really the dose that you would really want to see. So I love that this is yummy, but also very practical with those very specific instructions. Yeah, that that to me, that's really the, the thing that I spend the most time working on professionally right now, as far as herbs go, like if it's politics and, and so on, that's a little different. But but yeah, I, I really want to erase that barrier because I think people, they hear, oh, cinnamon is supposed to be really good to help support a healthy blood sugar balance. And they're like, I should go buy some capsules. And I'm like, no, no, no. But people don't know, you know, they even read, oh, I'm supposed to take two grams a day. Well, what is that? How do I get two grams? Oh, I better buy some capsules. So figuring out, you know, how to how to dose these things in a daily way. And for me, that, that has a lot to do with my lifestyle. And I used to I used to almost be embarrassed because for for so long with what I do, you know, there's always media requests and people are like, so what herbal medicines do you take every day? And I always felt like, geez, I really need to like get some herbs that I take every day because I'm I'm really not very good at that. Like I don't take any, I have lots of things. I have lots of tinctures and capsules and, and powders and so on. But really what I take every day is almost all food-based, but it's not just like, you know, I have this little tiny sprinkle. That's really very intentional. I really think about like how, you know, what I'm using and how much and what's in the garden and how we can make use of it. Or And I like that way. It's more, it's like life with plants versus like just trying to have, choke down some supplement because I am mm -hmm. supposed to. So. Mm -hmm. It's not only more, more fun, but also that really adds up. I mean, that's especially with cinnamon verum to take that two, three grams a day in capsule form is so phenomenally expensive. If you're buying yeah. the capsules, I mean, it really yeah. adds up and, and it's less fun. So there's yeah. so many reasons yeah. to be enjoying it. Right. Yeah. And it, and also it's less, you know, it's nice to like with kid, my kids, they are used to taking a lot of these things. Just they know it's like just like eating vegetables or something. You know, they know they're pleasurable, but they're also healthy for you and those aromatics. And I really I, I think one of the things we often miss out on for, for kids is flavor. You know, if you look at like all the top foods that babies and children, you know, you're supposed to start feeding babies and children. Uh, there's almost no flavor in most of them. I mean, it's true. You get, there's plenty of flavor in a sweet potato or in an avocado. I mean, those things have flavor, but but actually adding herbs and spices in the mix is really important because in places in the world where people eat a lot of strongly flavored foods, you start out from day one with mm -hmm. all of these spices in your diet and you get used to them. And so a lot of the times in the West, we're starting kids with super bland foods or plain foods, and then we expect them to somehow 
transition into these like highly flavored foods and wonder why they don't Mm -hmm. want to do that. So, Mm -hmm. so I was really a big proponent of this and adding, you know, garlic to baby foods and that I would make and things like that all the time because, because kids have fun facts about spices that I always just absolutely love is if, if you have, if a pregnant person has a, a baby inside them and they're eating these, these flavorful foods, the amniotic fluid actually takes on some of those aromatic flavors mm-hmm. and same with breast milk. So they, these are flavors that they're, that they're actually exposed to. And there's some fun research around that, looking at neonates and, mm-hmm. and whether they like these, these smells or not based on whether they had, when they were in utero, they were consumed and they were used to flavors. Mm-hmm. So, so I love kind of getting everyone on the spice, spice bandwagon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And speaking of that, you you not only love cinnamon, but so many spices, and you've written a book all about spices. And this is a wonderfully practical, easy to digest, unintended book about spices. Yeah. So I wrote Spice Apothecary, and that is just looking at just the spice, the most common spices. So the ones that most people who cook would probably have around already, and really how to use those in therapeutic preparations. So preparations that maximize the quantity that you're using, but also making it pleasurable and easy and, and fun. So, you know, there's some, it's, it's, it's all about that. So you can figure out, let's say you want to support um, heart health, which spices are really ideal for that. And then preparations that you might be able to make those and take them on a daily basis without, again, having to buy a lot of expensive things that you have to to choke down. So, so that, that's the idea with Spice Apothecary. And this, the cinnamon recipe is in there as well. Um, but I know you're going to provide that to, to the listeners, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So many wonderful recipes. Highly recommend the book. You. you know, this conversation is making me think about a question I commonly get, which is one I love to get because it's like, it's just exciting to open up the world a little bit. So the question I'll get is something along the lines of like, well, I don't want to rely on herbs for my health. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like thinking like herbs are like drugs, you know, like, well, I don't want to have to take this drug for the rest of my life or, you know, I don't right. want to have to take this herb for the rest of my life. Right. And right. so what, would you speak to that a little bit? I'd love to hear your response. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, or that herbs, I always like to put herbal medicine on a, a spectrum that starts in food, which a lot of them start way over in food all the way to poison you know, and so it's really hard to like pick a, pick a spot on there. So in an answer like that, yeah, the ones that are over on that spectrum from what I would say are like, you know, short-term medicines or, and poisons, you don't really want to rely on those ideally, but the ones that are over more in the food department, it's not really any different than, than saying, I don't, I don't want to keep eating fruits and veggies because I don't really want to rely on them. You need a lot of these things. We, we evolved with plants, you know, humans and Plants have, have you know, you've you've been consuming plants forever, and the you know the, the the phytochemical diversity of the plants that you that most people consume now is so much less than it used to be. So we're actually really used to all of these more medicinal things being in our bodies. So I actually think it's more like reinforcing the way that we've lived for a long time than it is, mm-hmm. you know, becoming reliant on them. Now, you know, that said, when people are talking about this, they might be talking about like a product that they're spending a lot of money on and they're thinking, I don't want to have to take this for the rest of my life. And I totally get that, you know, so yeah, sure. so if there is something that you, you know, if, if a listener is taking something that feels like 
yeah, this is a really good thing for me. I do want to take this for the rest of my life, but I don't really want to become reliant on it. You know, it may be something that they can integrate into their food or their diet otherwise, or find a, a different practice because while we're talking about spices and the book talks about spices, there's a lot of herbs you can use as a powder that you can integrate into your diet and take in a lot of other ways and the the cost effectiveness. I mean, it can be 90, 95% cheaper to buy a powder. You, know, you have to know a little bit about the bioavailability of the plant or whether it needs to be extracted or not. But a lot of the times the things that we can take in a capsule, you can take in a powder and, and use it in a different way. So like that fudge recipe, for example, you can use lots of different things in there. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm already anticipating how much everyone's going to love that recipe. And I can't wait to hear from everyone what they think of it. Yay. It. Yeah. <laughs> we got a little away from cinnamon. Was there anything else that you wanted to add about cinnamon? Well, I think I think one other thing that I'll add that that's fun, especially for the for the herbalist people in the group, is that I think we forget a lot of times that cinnamon is demulcent, and mm. you know it has that wonderful mucilagin. It doesn't have as much as other plants. I never really paid attention like when I would make mulled cider for so many years or something like that, and I'd add a lot of cinnamon, especially if I was using cinnamon powder in addition to a cinnamon stick. When I got to the bottom of the pot, there'd be this like gloppy stuff, and I was always mm -hmm. like, "What is the gloppy stuff?" You know? <laughs> what is this? Not really realizing it was cinnamon. And so if you, you know, if you like playing with medicine making and so on, you can actually really bring out the demulcency and mucilage in cinnamon. And it can be a lot of fun to do that. So definitely encourage and um, that that element of cinnamon. It's fun to have this like kind of moist, spicy plant. So I think I think that's it for cinnamon. But if, if there's any questions, I'd be happy to to answer them. They come in. I'm so glad you mentioned the demulcent because there, there isn't a lot of warming demulcents out right. there and cinnamon is really a wonderful one for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you know how many trips you've taken this year? We're, we're recording this in July. So. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think I could probably answer it and say I've been to like eight countries this year. Eight so countries far. this year. Okay. Not bad. Not no. bad. <laughs> I, I love, love following you on social media and kind of living vicariously through your adventures. And, and this year when I was in Europe and I got COVID, you helped me with testing and everything, just kind of figuring out how to handle all of that. So deeply appreciative. And because you travel so much and everywhere and have so much experience, I'm especially grateful that you have a course on your site about traveling and helping, you know, and, and it's so relevant too. you know, you have a lot of information about what traveling is like today, because it's not in 2022, not the same as it was traveling in 2019. Right. So right. it's not specifically herbal related, but for anybody interested in travel, I highly recommend going to bevanclair.com and checking out what you have to offer there. Do you want to add anything about that class? Yeah. You know, I, I think that, that, travel, it's really possible to make it really accessible if it's something that you're interested in. I mean, I think I, I feel, I don't know, a little like bashful about the amount of travel that I do because I think it makes it look like, you know, I'm some fabulous millionaire who can just do all of these crazy things. But the reality is that, that I plan really far ahead and I look for fabulous deals. So you know, so, so when I'm thinking about like Panama and Copenhagen, I mean, sorry, and, and Stockholm in the summer, you know, we, we found tickets um, to Panama for less than $200 and use some like hotel points to get a hotel and things like that. So it's, it's a lot of this, like playing this game. I love looking for 
like travel bargains. And that's kind of how I structure a lot of this. So I teach people how to do some of that, but also some of the logistics. I really, especially for families, but I think for everyone, it really opens your eyes to travel. And, and I think that there's a lot of ways to do it that are a lot more in reach. And, you know, it's my dream that like every, I have absolutely no problem with Disney, but like, I think about every family that spends all this money to go to Disney every year or something like that. And that, you know, those, the, you can actually, you could go so many different places in the world and experience these cultures and all sorts of different things to do with quite a bit of ease if you just have a little bit more knowledge maybe about what how to how to navigate some of that. So that's what I'm trying to do is like make travel becoming a traveler a lot more accessible to people. Um, so that's the idea. Now you often share, you know, that what you paid for your air, airplane tickets and how you're making it work financially, which I appreciate because it's really opened my eyes. It's just like it is really amazing what you do and you know, how you, how you play the game and, and you're a homeschooling <laughs> mom. And I, I often think about what an amazing education your kids are getting as this, you know, supplemental travel. And I often just even like wonder about your kids and like, what is, you know, what are they going to be like growing up having this experience of seeing the world? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's remarkable to, I mean, it's a little, they, they, they lack some perspective, you know, cause I'd be like, what do you guys want to eat? They'd be like, we want to go to Shanghai and get that cucumber salad or something. And I'm like, okay, no, I mean like in the realm of actual reality that of what we're, but I grew up traveling a little bit and it really made an impression on me. And I think people mm -hmm. understand, you know, I, I feel like one of the challenges that we have with raising children, the, the luckiest children, the children who have um, a safe and loving environment to be raised in is that there's no opportunity to get out of your comfort zone. I mean, and travel mm -hmm. is fundamentally uncomfortable a lot of the time. It's disorienting. It's, you know, you don't get your, your foods, you don't get your bed, you know, things are unfamiliar. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, unexpected situation. And, and I think that, that because, because travel does it often in a very safe way, like this is not a generally like a trauma building experience when you have your flight canceled or, you know, you can't get the food that you are used to. This is it's about building resilience. So I think that that like resilience building is, is so important. And as you mentioned, we got home last night and when we were Coming in last night, our flight was diverted. Our, actually, our landing was aborted at the last minute and our flight was diverted and we had to go to a different city. And instead of getting like scared or panicked or irritated, uh, you know, my son was like, I need to go talk to the pilots and learn more about this. And everyone, you know, the kids are looking at online, like what, you know, what actually happened and what the records are like for this, how frequently it happens, you know, what's the the most likely outcome of what's going to happen. And so I think taking these situations where it totally, I mean, we could have gotten stressed and upset, but, but it wouldn't have helped at all, like at all. Mm -hmm. We still would have been in exactly the same situation. So I really like travel for that. It it helps mm -hmm. challenge. It doesn't mean that we don't all lose it sometimes, but, but you know, it's, uh, thankfully I always say like I travel with the kids a lot, and I'm like, what we the goal is just that we lose it like one at a time, not all at the same time when we're stressed out about something or something. But it, we understand each other so much better in the world if we just traveled a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing about your next adventures as always. And before we go, Bevan, I have one last question for you. It's the question everyone's getting in season five. And that question is, in what ways do you feel like herbalism is misunderstood by the general public? 
Oh, there's so many ways. But I, I think I'll pick something that's kind of conventionally topical. And that is that herbalism exists really as an alternative to conventional care and conventional medicine. And I think that's a, a really, a very unfortunate misunderstanding that it's considered like an, an either or, or even that if you have a lot of problems with what's going on conventionally, that you would turn to herbal medicine instead, and it would be the answer because a lot of the times it isn't, you know, there's a lot of situations where sure we used herbalism in the past in a lot of situations. And really the main reason is because we didn't have something better. So it doesn't mean that herbalism isn't incredible and wonderful, but there's a lot of situations where it's most appropriately used from a kind of from a perspective of the individual and what is best for them. And that might be a combination of things. And so I think that that folks will often think that. And I've found between like COVID and all sorts of different situations that a lot of people assume, you know, that I, and I see also like when I first meet um, students coming to the graduate school or things like that, they'll often say like, oh yeah, well, I would never, like I, I would never take medications or pharmaceuticals or something like that. And like, that's an important way to relate to somebody who uses herbal medicine. And I think it's a real shame because I think what we have, you know, we, we don't have to narrow our options. You know, we really have the opportunity to integrate things really thoughtfully and to get the boast of both of both worlds and they're they're both so important so i think that that's really misunderstood a lot of the time yeah that's a great important distinction of it doesn't have to be either or i like that yeah yeah absolutely well, Bevan, thank you so much for taking the time today to to chat with me and to share your love of cinnamon with all of us and especially your wonderful recipe. And again, highly recommend your book to anybody who's thinking like, yeah, I'd like to be working with herbs and spices in my everyday life. It's an excellent book for that. So thank you so thank much, you. Bevan. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. For the listeners, don't forget to head over to herbswithrosaliepodcast.com to get free access to Bevan's Heart Synergy Fudge Recipe. Also available are the complete show notes, including the transcript. You can also find Bevan at bevanclare.com. That's B-E-V-I-N-C-L-A-R-E.com. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks. I'm so glad you're here as part of this herbal community. Have a beautiful day. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found today's episode helpful. And if you're a new listener, thanks for checking out the show. And don't forget that you can find all the recipes, links, and show notes over at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. While you're there, you can subscribe and get updates when new episodes release and even submit your requests for future podcast episodes. The world needs more people who are connected to the earth and the healing gifts of plants. I'm so glad that you're here for this adventure. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Rising Appalachia for the use of their beautiful song, Resilience. Listen to more from Rising Appalachia at risingappalachia.com.